Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. Ever hear phrases like common knowledge or conventional wisdom? Well, typically the reason knowledge is common or wisdom is conventional is because it's true, or at least it makes sense. Otherwise, it presumably wouldn't have a long shelf life and get passed around for years. But here's the thing. Sometimes conventional wisdom is stupid and common knowledge is wrong. Here's one of many examples. Ever hear someone say, after you retire, your expenses will be much lower. Hey, it's possible that's true, but it's also possible it'll be laughingly false. Depending on what you plan to do during your retirement years, you can easily be spending a lot more than you did while working. That's why you first need to think about how you'll likely spend your golden years, then plan on where the gold is going to come from. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to questionable, irrelevant, outdated, or just plain bad money advice. And that's what this week's Money Podcast is all about. We're going to list 20 plus bad bits of advice, explain why they're off the mark, and replace them with new conventional wisdom that's wise and common knowledge that's more knowledgeable. I'm your host, Stacey Johnson. I'm here with my co-host, Miranda Marquette. Hey, Miranda. Hey, Stacey. And producer and sometimes contributor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, you two. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. Okay, guys, before we get started, yeah, we got to do our usual disclaimer. Should you hear about investments on this podcast, that doesn't mean they're recommendations. You never invest based solely on our advice or what we do with our money because we don't know your situation. You got to form your own opinions. You got to make your own decisions. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. We have not talked about how to format the show. I'm just going to ask you guys, just shout out a piece of advice you think might be irrelevant. And, and we'll, the other two people will try to guess why it's bad <laughs> advice. Okay, well, okay, let's see if we can get through this as quickly as possible, I guess. I think one of the biggest things that we... Uh, that we hear is, you know, um, to keep your money in a savings account. And, you know, it's a good idea to do that. But do you want to keep all your money in a savings account? Yeah, that's a bit. And this is something my parents would have said. You know, you can't lose it if you don't risk it. Put it in a savings account. The problem is that you are risking it because inflation is going to eat up your profits. That's bad advice. You can't put all your money in a savings account. You agree with that, Aaron? I, I, I knew an old couple that uh, told me they used to keep their money buried in the backyard. You know what? I literally did that one time, this you guys. Is... I buried money. I did. I did. I was getting divorced at the time. This is so long ago. The statute of limitations has to run. In my Hopefully, my first wife's died by now. But, so I buried some cash in the in the backyard of my house in Arizona. And you know what? I dug that up six months later. And I put it in a baggie and then put it in a metal uh, container. Let me tell you something. That was rotten. That, that money stunk. When I used it to buy a car, the guy was like, what is this money's all mildewed? <laughs> so if you are going to bury money in your backyard, be very careful how you do it. It's not like a plant. It doesn't really grow in the backyard. No, it, it, no, it grows mold, though. <laughs> so be very careful. Okay, let's go. We got 30 of these things. Let's see how many we can get through. I'm going to name one now. Um, you can't go broke taking a profit. I heard that a lot when I was a <laughs> stockbroker. What, what's wrong with that idea? Well, I guess it kind of depends on like how big is the profit, and after you've taken the profit, what are you doing with it? Like, are you banking it and using it for your future wealth, or are you squandering it? I guess. Well, you know, I know. the, the, the I should, that one wasn't fair because I was a stockbroker. I heard that a lot. Here, here's what it's really about: when 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 you're up a little bit, you take a profit, and when you're down, you you wait until the, it comes back before you sell the stock. So, in other words, Ooh. what people tend to do is they cut their profits short. And they let their losses run. This exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to let your profits run and cut your losses short when you're trading stocks. 
So that that wasn't fair because that was my thing that I put up on the board there. And uh, no, you guys didn't know what I was talking about. But yet, yes, you can go broke taking your profit if you let your losses get bigger than your profits. So let your profits keep going. Cut your losses short. That's the idea. All right. Okay, you name one, Aaron. Oh, let's see. Uh, don't invest until you've paid off all your debt. Very common. Very dumb. Now, you go ahead, Miranda. Tell me why that's dumb. Well, one of the things is, is it just kind of depends on the kind of debt you're talking about and how long it's going to take you to pay it off. A lot of people say, well, I will invest once I pay off my student, all of my student loans. And it could take you another 10, 15, 20 years to pay off your student loans. And if you are not investing during that time, you're missing out on time on the market and the gains that are likely to be larger uh, than what you would be paying in student loan interest. So while you might want to, you know, while you still want to pay down that debt and maybe you want to pay it off early, you still also want to be investing as well. Don't forget to set some money aside and invest. I think you should prioritize different debts too, right? Because you, you know, oh, yeah. your mortgage debt and your and those those low interest debts are way different than credit card debts that are eating away at your savings. That's true. How about this one? Always put aside ten percent of your pay for your retirement account for your savings. What's wrong with that? <laughs> I, mean, I think the situation changes over time, right? Like for some, at some point, it may not be enough, right? You may it may not be enough for your savings, and then it, uh, later on, if you have been consistent, you can actually taper it off. You may have already met your goal. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like most, you, one you size actually fit should all. save as much as you possibly can, right? I mean, you might want to save twice as much. You might even save twenty percent for retirement. Depends on how much you make. You know, right. but, to, yeah. but just to say, I mean, if you're making $500,000 a year and you're living in a low, uh, you know, a place with a low cost of living, maybe you should be saving 50% of your income. But, to, but you, you might go, well, you know, I heard that expression, you only need to save 10%. So I think I'll just blow the rest. <laughs> I mean, save as much as you can for crying out loud. Well, but I also think too, on the other hand, like if you've, if you're meeting your goals and everything else, maybe you don't need to set aside 10% of your income Well, and that anymore. brings up a point, Miranda, because a lot of this stuff here isn't necessarily stupid advice that we're going to say. It depends on the situation. Right. See, that's why a lot of the stuff is that way, you know, so, and I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. Really what I'm trying to say with a lot of these things is that it, it just depends on what your situation is. Nothing is universally true. Just like the example I gave when I was doing the introduction, uh, yeah, your 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 expenses probably will go down as you get older, but they don't have to. Don't don't assume they're going to. I mean, if you're sitting here going like I'm going to go around the world and you know, flying first class when I retire, and it's, it'll be cool because my expenses will go down after retire. Well, no, they won't. You know, so just just don't take things for granted. Question some of these things, even though they may be true. You got another one, Aaron? Oh. Um- People always say, uh, buy a home. It's a it's a great investment. It's one of the single most investments you should do. That's not and, always and true. You, you know, I know that I know that the answer to this is why this isn't conventional wisdom because the house really is an investment. It's a place where you live. Um, but you know, the truth is that I've made lots of money in living in houses too. I'm still not going to call it an investment, but you know, the house I'm living in right now uh, has gone up hundreds of thousands of dollars. What I paid for it. Granted, I put a lot of money in it. Uh, but I, I do think paying a mortgage is kind of a forced savings plan. Uh, so, you know, let, let me turn around and throw something right back at you. Don't buy a house. This is conventional wisdom. Some, some people's conventional wisdom. Don't buy a house. Rent and invest the difference. Right. That's, 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 that became yeah. popular after the, uh, the big real estate crash of, tw of 2008. I, I think that's BS. 
What do you, what do you think, Miranda? Oh, Miranda agrees with it. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we're good there. We're good there. <laughs> so you, you think that is good? You think that is smart? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, once again, yes. <laughs> Depends on your situation and, and, and where you're at. But yeah, don't, don't make assumptions that like it's, it's going to turn out exactly how it turned out before or uh, that what's going to work for one person is really going to be the thing for you. Well, there's a perfect example of, of conventional wisdom that may not be wise depending on who you are, because you and I are both brilliant, and yet we disagree <laughs> on this point. You know, I, I think you do want to buy a house, unless you're going to you know, be, be moving around. Uh, if you're going to be sit, sitting still in a place with growing uh, job opportunities and rising real estate prices, I think you should buy a house. It, you, you don't. So, And we're no, both, think- and neither one of us is wrong. Right. Yeah. And I just think it just sort of depends on where you're at. And, you know, I may decide, I actually may decide that to buy the house I'm, I'm living in right now. We're, we're going to see. Running some numbers. Here's, here's one that drives me crazy. You know what? You got to keep that mortgage because you need the tax deduction. <laughs> most people don't even like take that tax deduction. It's not big enough for most people to like overcome the standard deduction. Yes. And well, you know, it's always killed me too, because I'm an accountant, right? And so I learned taxes at an early age. Um, and people will say like, well, you know, Stacey, that's tax deductible. Or, or, you know, here's another example. They'll say, you know, the rich people aren't going to hire anyone because uh, the taxes are too high. Well, you know, and I do hire people. Uh, but the thing is, I'm not going to stop hiring people to, unless unless the taxes are 110%. Because if, if I'm paying 90% in taxes and I'm making a dollar, from hiring you, I'm going to hire you. So you know, as long as your deductions are never more than the income, you know, so it makes no sense on both sides of the equation. I'm not going to keep a mortgage for the tax write-off because it's still costing me money. I'm still getting poorer. And I'm not going to worry about uh, high tax rates when I'm thinking about improving my income because I'm still going to make more money than I had before. I'm still going to be richer even if tax rates are 90%. And I'm still going to be poorer, even if I get to write off the interest on my, my mortgage. So these are kind of nonsensical statements, not good advice. Okay, what about this, Aaron? The stock market is gambling. Ooh, I've heard that, that. I've heard that many times. Yeah. Okay, what do you think? <laughs> I think I've heard my family members say that, which is probably why I've never gotten into it. Do you think it's true? Uh, it's it's on this list it's not true obviously not i mean if you look at any historical data obviously not you know over time it's always always done well year over year so i mean it can be if you get into the whole what is it there where you're doing puts and options and stuff like that i mean mean, then it can be dangerous yeah for sure go ahead miranda I was just going to, I mean, I really just, once again, it, it depends on like what you're doing with the stock market, right? If you have a strategy and you're doing a long-term situation where like you, where you look for good value stocks that you can hold for a long time, or where I invest in index funds that I know I can hold for a long time and take advantage of long-term market performance, then it's really a lot less like gambling <laughs> it's, and more like investing. Like there is a difference between investing, speculating and gambling, right? Like when you're investing, you're taking a look at things that are likely to buy, uh, go up in value. You're looking at a long-term strategy. When you're speculating, you're looking at like looking at the like hotness of the moment. You're looking at something that could provide uh, amazing returns, but could also result in huge losses. And when you're gambling, well, then you're you're buying Shiba Inu coins. Um, but yes. um, but I mean, but there's stuff. But it's really important to understand that difference and realize that just because the market does go down, uh, doesn't mean you have to lock in those losses. Uh, over time, 
if you look at the market in terms of like 20 year historical chunks, the market as a whole doesn't hasn't lost yet. I mean, it could in the future, but then we've got bigger problems. But um, but as a whole, the market as a whole, which is why I like indexing, hasn't lost. So as long as you can keep your head about you and not sell when we're in the middle of a crash, you're more likely to come out ahead. Did you just quote a little Rudyard Kipling there from the poem If? I keep don't. Keep your head about you and others around you are losing oh. theirs. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I guess so. I guess 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 I brought a little Rudyard Kipling into this business. Well, now here's the thing, though, too, guys. You guys have both heard me say this before. Gambling, it, by definition, is a zero-sum game. The only money I can make is money you lose. That's poker. Okay, Gam that's gambling. S investing in the stock market is a positive sum game because nobody has to lose for somebody else to win. Apple sells more of iPhones. Whoever's a stockholder wins. Nobody lost. That's why the stock market's not gambling. Just that simple. Now, and that's why options, like you were saying before, Aaron, is gambling because that is a zero sum game. The only money you can make in options or futures, commodities, is money somebody else lost. By definition, that's gambling, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, that's my definition. I got one. I got one. Uh, I've heard this from many of my other friends. Always buy a new car and then trade it in before it gets too old so you get the best value on your trade-in. <laughs> well, actually, again, I think Miranda and I may be on opposite sides of this one. No, maybe or not anymore. But anyway, that's ridiculous as far as I'm concerned because new cars depreciate immediately when you drive them off the lot. So I, I've never owned a new car. I bought my wife a new car. Uh, Unless you're a in a really weird situation like we are now, in we which are. Yeah. my car, my car that I bought new three months ago, is actually worth five thousand dollars more than I paid for it. Yeah, that well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and my used car is worth five thousand dollars more than it was worth a few months ago, or it was last time I looked. Yeah, but we're anyway, in a weird, we're in a weird spot. <laughs> we are, we are in a weird spot. We, we're in kind of an odd place in the history of the world, or history of the of the United States, anyway. But. But generally speaking, that's not good conventional wisdom as far as I'm concerned. Um, how about how about buying and how about, let's talk about life insurance. Buying insurance, you, you should buy insurance as soon as you can because you might become uninsurable. You should also buy it on your children. Boy, have I heard that a lot. Oh, my gosh. Don't buy it on your children, please. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why is that bad advice? Well, I mean, a lot of the time, those those uh, the insurance policies that you buy on your children um, – they're usually fairly small and have you mean the children or the policies <laughs> both uh but they also but you know but they also cost a little bit more and your children are very unlikely to die <laughs> so uh, the closest thing i did was i did put a small rider on my own life insurance uh for my son uh and it you know it, it was a rider that expired and then also um because i was you know just well, I was young and didn't really think through, think it through. Uh, but I don't feel super bad about that because it wasn't very expensive and it was basically enough to cover cover funeral expenses, um, and it didn't add really to my uh, my cost. But yeah, it's it's hard to get excited about life insurance depending on where you're at. It's hard to get excited about life insurance. Period. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Speaking of dying, I'm dying to get to more of these things, but I have to cut out for a quick commercial break first so we can pay the bills. But we're going to be right back. Do not move a muscle. Okay, we're right back. Uh, insurance, we were talking about. Now, 
I've heard this before, too. Oh, let me tell you this story first. I've done this because I did TV news for 30 years. And every now and then I would do bad insurance, insurance you should never buy. And um, one of those was uh, insurance on kids. We were just talking about this. And boy, did I get hate mail. Because, you know, Gerber apparently is really good at this whole insuring your baby thing. <laughs> but a lot of insurance agents would write me and say, like, oh, you're such an idiot because, you know, these kids could become uninsurable later. And then where are they? You know, it's good to have insurance on kids. And, and I would write back and say, actually, I didn't write back, but I would say to myself, um, you know, the truth is that uh, you can walk. Some people walk into Vegas and pull a handle on a slot machine right off the sidewalk and win a million dollars. But that doesn't make it a good bet, does it? The odds are that you're not going to that's not going to happen. The odds right. are your kid's not going to die. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it, it's possible. And everyone can name an instance where that worked out for them. But but the odds are that that is not going to happen. And when you're planning your finances, you go with the odds. So the odds are that insuring your kids is not going to be a really good investment. Putting that money into a mutual fund for a long-term investment might be a great idea, though. Um, so, But insurance itself, probably not. Also, what about this? What about permanent insurance is better than term? Uh, like whole life insurance is better than term. What do you think? <sighs> it's not. <laughs> uh, generally speaking you want to buy term and invest the difference uh you know the difference between permanent insurance and term insurance is often at least tenfold if not a hundredfold permanent insurance is more expensive uh now people who sell whole life will tell you that that's a better deal because it has a forced savings account and that's not untrue but you're generally better off there's because of the fees inherent in, in life insurance you're better off buying term insurance and then when it becomes too expensive as you get old, hopefully you won't need it anymore because your kids are grown and gone. Uh, and you're self-insured essentially because of your savings. So for most people, term is better. That's bad advice, getting, uh, suggesting permanent insurance. Okay, let me try this one. How about this, either one of you guys? You know, you got to avoid credit cards at all costs. You just got to avoid them. <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of us do this because I think all of us are all about those credit card rewards. I still need I, I still need to use that uh, night that you generously offered to me through your credit card rewards. I need I to still like that. book that. Yeah, I still I mean, need to make that happen. No problem. <laughs> it's right here for you. And, that, and there you go. That's a really good point. I mean, if you can't manage credit cards, hell yeah, close. Don't use them, obviously. But it, but just because they're credit card doesn't make them evil. Uh, credit cards can be very useful, and I use them a lot, and I use them for points. So I can buy Miranda hotel rooms with them. <laughs> uh, what about this? What about another credit card thing? You should close your unused credit card accounts. Uh, that's a no-no, isn't it? It is a no-no, unless it's costing you money, because part of your credit score is based on your credit history. The longer your history, the better. Uh, so keeping your, if you don't want to use it anymore, don't use it. Throw it in the back of a drawer and forget you own it. Yeah. If you got an annual no fee credit card, it. though, you're not using, you should toss it. What's that? If you have an annual fee credit card you're not using, I mean, you should get rid of that for sure. You should. Uh, you could, though, Aaron, you could call up the credit card company and say, I'm going to get rid of this card uh, unless you uh, don't charge me the annual fee. Yeah. You could but try generally it. speaking, sure. yeah, you don't want to pay an annual fee just to keep that on your credit report. But there's no point. And closing it, uh, providing you have the discipline to just throw it. You could cut it in half. You just don't have to, you know, just don't formally close it. Uh, and it'll be better for your credit history. A little better. Not a big deal. Um, how about this one? This is something you and I have, I think, I think we've disagreed on before, Miranda. Maybe not. Um, the fire movement. 
You should retire as soon as you can. <laughs> you know, the, what, what does fire stand for again? Financial uh, independence, retire early, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and but, so retire as soon as you can. What do you say? Is that true or not? I mean, I, yeah, once again, like, I mean, I think I think it goes back to like, what is your definition of retirement? How are you doing things? A lot of people in the fire movement have like shifted more toward like financial independence, the idea of, you know, doing what you can to design a life you want, uh, without necessarily having to work if you want, like another subset of that is like what's being called work optional, where you can be like, Oh, well, I want to do work that appeals to me or that I find interesting, but I don't, you know, without having to rely on a soul sucking job. So really, in the end, I mean, I really think that it's about like figuring out what you want out of life and then figuring out how to get it with using your money as a means to that end. And so like, if you want to retire early, cool. If you don't really care if you retire early, like there's a whole subset of fire called slow fire, uh, slow fi, where you're supposed to like take your time and, and everything else. You don't have to worry about retiring early. Of course, you know, that just turns into regular retirement. So whatever. But, you know, it's just a kind of a way to kind of tweak it and figure out, okay, what matters to me? What are my priorities? And how does my money work into that? Yeah. I, and I think that's true. I, I, I get really, I get resentful about this whole fire movement because I just think it's stupid because everybody's always, basically the bottom line is this, be able to retire as soon as you can, but don't retire. I mean, that's just nuts. <laughs> and in fact, the people who are pushing the fire movement aren't retired because they're pushing the fire movement. <laughs> you know, so, so the whole thing is just ridiculous to me. But but you want to be able to retire as you want to be able to retire. In other words, you want to do what you want to do, not what you have to do. That's what I say in the books that I've written about this topic. You know, you, you, my, my, I can do what I want to do. I don't I'm not doing anything that I don't want to do now because I'm you know, I've, re, I've saved enough and I'm old enough to where but I don't want to retire. What am I supposed to do? Water the grass? You know, I, I, what I want to do is do something that makes me feel alive, like what I'm doing right this second. So to me, this retire as soon as you can is ridiculous. Wrong. Okay, now how about these two, Social Security? These, are, these, are, these things are the uh, diametric opposites. One conventional wisdom is wait and take your Social Security at age 70. Then there's also this one. Take your Social Security as early as you can get it. <laughs> Which one's true or is either one true? And well, once again, right, like what we've been saying this whole time, it depends, Yes. you know, on yes. your situation. Like if you like because there are some people who are like, oh, well, wait, 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 wait. Well, what happens if you need the money now or if you die or something like that? <laughs> and it's like, well, then you you've missed out on it. You're, you're going to get the same. They, they base your Social Security benefits when you start taking them based on, you know, these actuarial tables and all the things. So the idea is eventually you get the same regardless of when you take it. So it's all about when you need it uh, and whether you think you're going to need that bigger monthly payment later or not. You're absolutely right. And there are some people who should take Social Security the instant they can get it. And there are some people who should take it as I, I'm waiting till 70, I think. I, I just became eligible a month this month, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but I'm still working. I've, I don't need the money, so I'm going to wait. And hopefully, it'll be it'll it'll work out for me actuarially because I'll live long enough to appreciate that extra income. But there are some people, you know, I, I tell this story. I've written about this before. Uh, one of my best friends I grew up with, James, uh, he called me at 59. I think this isn't a Social Security story, but it's a retirement story. Um, and he said he said, Stacy, I can get my retirement now. Uh, it was from a it was from a um, union. One Social Security, uh, but it's going to be way lower than if I wait till I'm 65, and even lower still if I if, if I wait till I'm, it'll be higher still if I wait till I'm 70. 
And I said, James, take it. And you know why I said that? His father died at 45. His mother died at 55. His siblings were all dead. And he was 48. I'm sorry, 58. And uh, six months later, I was, I was giving the um, eulogy at his funeral. So, you know, for some people, you take Social Security as soon as you can get it. And for some people, you don't. Right. Okay, so both those things could be true and both could be false. Okay, um, you know what? Here's something I've done a million times. Hold your profitable stocks until that gain becomes long-term. Because, you know, if you sell your stock short-term, in other words, you hold it for less than a year, that profit is like regular income. But if you hold it for more than a year, the maximum tax you'll pay on it is 20%. So I've sat there on a stock and held on to it <laughs> when, you know, just to get that, that long-term holding period for my tax, for tax purposes. Think that's a good idea? Nope. Why is that? <laughs> well, because, because you're gaining, you know, you're getting 5% more in income, but that stock goes down, you're screwed. I mean, you, you, know, you, don't, make, you don't make investment decisions based on taxes. I mean, unless you're really sure. But I mean, I've lost tons of money that way, Aaron, waiting for a stock to, you know, waiting for December 31st or selling it in January 1. So I have to pay the tax till the following year. And then on December 15th, that thing tanks. Well, then you're, you're talking more about just making sure you're, you have your eye on your, all your stocks, making sure you, you understand what the news is happening with them so you know when to sell and when not to. Well, you do, but you can never know for sure what's going to happen. And, 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 you know, when, if, if anyone listening listens also to our uh, twice-monthly podcast where we detail all the investments we've made and stuff, I'll have a story to tell on the one we're about to, we're about to do in mid-October because I bought a stock uh, in, on Friday and it doubled. I'm sorry, I bought it on Thursday and it doubled Friday morning. Doubled. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I thought, maybe I should hold on to this. <laughs> make the gain long term, and it went it and I it went down about ten percent after that. I said, "What am I doing?" And I sold it. Yeah, so, so I, I think that's a good point, though, to like that that it's like, yeah, like if it's a small like for me, it's like okay, so in, in some cases, you know, yeah, it might be a gain, but it still might be a small enough gain that adding it to um, that adding it to my income isn't going to like be the end of the world and really mess up my tax bill. Yeah. Now, how about this one? Let's go back to credit cards for a minute. You should never pay off your balances entirely on your credit cards because that hurts your credit score. Uh, no. <laughs> that's false. Yeah, that's false. It is false. Yeah, having a balance on your credit cards does not help your credit score at all. And paying 18% interest does not make you wealthy. That's for sure. Do not do that. And, and, and it really does not work. It has nothing to do with what you're, the balance you're carrying does not make you more attractive to the credit score people. Oh, but isn't there, what is there, what's that percentage rate of having, a, I forget what it was. You're talking about a utilization ratio. Utilization ratio for the well, credit you, score. You want to have as low, okay, if you if you have a $1,000 credit limit, you don't want to have more than $300 in credit used at any given time. So you want your utilization ratio to, believe, to be below 30%, but zero is below 30%. You know, so if you're not utilizing it, so in other words, Aaron, it's not that you're, the utilization ratio isn't suggesting you use more of your credit. It's suggesting you use less of your available credit. It, it does you no good whatsoever, I'm telling you, black and white, to, to carry a balance. It will not improve your credit score to carry a balance on your credit cards. So basically, you're just getting, a, getting points for keeping it below 30%. Yes, that, that is correct. How about this? Now, this may sound a little controversial. You should always track all of your expenses to the penny. Miranda? 
Uh, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I think it's useful to go back through and see what you've been spending your money on. And I do track where my money's going where and, and make sure that it's I'm still spending in line with my goals and my values and, and my long term wealth strategies. Uh, but I don't see the need to like, you know, make sure like I'm like, okay, well, I spent, you know, I'm, you know, I spent four hundred for uh, $45.50 going out to eat last week. So I only have $30.60 left on my, you know, whatever, you know, to spend this week. Like, I, I don't really do that. So, yeah. Good for you. And I, I thought you were going to say that because you'd said that before. And there are some people, by the way, who should track their expenses to the penny. But generally speaking, what I do is I, I, I see what my net worth is every month. Uh, if my net worth's going backwards, if I'm worth less than I was a month before, and when I say net worth, I merely mean what I own uh, less what I owe. Uh, if that is a positive number and it's going up, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. If it's going backwards, I need to take a closer look, and that and that closer look may ultimately mean me tracking every penny. But it, but I don't think it's necessary for everybody to do that all the time. Um, I've got one more, and we're gonna we're gonna have time. For, we're gonna have time for questions. We're gonna have to stop. But we've done at least twenty of these, if not more. Um, but here's something that I that I used to say that I don't agree with anymore. Don't buy individual stocks. Put everything into mutual funds. Now, and I used to literally say this: take your H from 100, take that percentage, and put that into a stock a stock fund. Uh, now I don't say that. I, I still give the same general advice, but I really think it's important to have 10% of your money where you do buy individual stocks because individual stocks have changed my life. Uh, you know, being in the right place at the right time. Not suggesting you should gamble, but you know, as I've said many times, which your ears are probably bleeding. You know, I I, I bought Apple at fifteen hundred bucks and went up to a million dollars. And so, just every now and then, put your put the lion's share into mutual funds. But every now and then, if you've got a if you've got a strong feeling about something and you've done the research, put a little bit of money into individual stocks because there's no way that any mutual fund would have outperformed what I got from Apple, also from Microsoft, also from Google. These are all stocks I own, Amazon, and these have vastly outperformed mutual funds. So I think it's important to have a little money in, in individual stocks. What do you think about that, Miranda or Aaron? Oh, yeah. I think uh, individual stocks are, are usually do better than the ETFs, don't you? I mean, well, I mean, the, the you know ETFs are individual stocks. I mean, but, well, yeah, they're a group, but I mean, as far as growth, sometimes you you get pretty lucky with the individual companies. You can, you can, and I think um, now remember, be, I want to be clear: ninety percent, fine. But take 10%. If, if you have the interest in it, enough to do the research behind it, uh, I, I, see, you know, I think you should buy individual stocks periodically. Well, we've talked about a lot about debt and, and investing in stocks and homes and stuff like that, but we haven't talked too much about making the money in the first place. And this is something that I've, I've said a lot in my life, and, and it's uh, going to work conferences or going to attending events and stuff where you're doing a lot of meet and greet whether it's people uh -huh. in your own industry or just new people. Um, this is something I've always said, ah, it's stupid, why do it? And a lot of people were like, oh, God, I got to travel. I got to go to hotels. It's kind of a pain in the ass. Even though now COVID, we don't do it as much, but I think it'll come back. But I think they're more important than people know. I, I've come to realize that that whole meet and greet, uh, putting a face with a name with people goes a lot further than people think it does in exchanging of ideas. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right. I regret sometimes because we don't have an office, uh, and I regret that sometimes that we don't do that. But that's made a lot of difference uh, yeah. in my life. You know, pe meeting people in person, 
has has made a lot of difference. Uh, okay, we got, I'm going to say one more thing, and then unless you guys have something compelling, and then we'll answer our question, and we'll be done. But uh, this is more of a bumper sticker than it is conventional wisdom. But <laughs> it just annoys me to death. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? Um, maybe. You have not? Well, it just it just annoys me to death because you know it implies that material possessions are the are the most important thing, and and you know I know we're all in the money business and money is important, but the one who dies with the most toys wins, is the exact opposite of the way life is. Because let me tell you something: when you're on your deathbed, you will not be thinking about the money you had or the things you had. You'll only be thinking about the people you knew and the love you put in the life uh, you put into other people's lives and the love you took away. That's the only thing that matters in the great scheme of things. And anybody who suggests otherwise with conventional wisdom or not is wrong. I can assure you that. Sounds like a quote that came out of an ad agency from the 1950s. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, we have one question really quick. Uh, You you don't have to prep for this. I don't don't think you saw it in advance, Miranda, but you don't have to prep for it. Uh, This is from Linda. I have recently established my own dog grooming business, and in the four months since I first accepted clients, it is doing quite well. Good job, Linda. I really need a bookkeeping application on my computer to keep track of expenses, clients' info, and appointments. I'm familiar with Quicken, but am quite willing to learn another application. What would you recommend? All three of us are self-employed. What do you What do you use to keep the books? Um. So, (laughs) so I actually use my accountant, but he uses QuickBooks. Um. So basically, um, I am set up on QuickBooks with my accountant and uh, my business credit card, my business accounts are all connected there. So it's all easy to manage. Um, and it's just very easy and takes care of it. And then my accountant does uses the information to do my taxes every year. That's and it's, interesting. It's very easy. Uh, but yeah, I do like QuickBooks just because it is easy to, to manage it. And if you do have an accountant, um, they can help you do that even better. But what about you, Erin? What do you use? I know what you use. You yeah, use, use Sonia. I, use, I use, my, use my wife, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> she does use QuickBooks, and she's actually been thinking about moving over to the online one, which is, has a, a monthly service fee. Yeah, we've but, never talked about this before. But if you but use it a I, lot, I, I mean, the that's, online one. That's, a not, that's a write-off if you're using it for business. Yeah, I was going to say, and I then, use um, QuickBooks, yeah, online. And it's easy because it's just automatically, automatic, just pulls it all in. you know in. what? I'll right. tell you guys something. And it's with you wherever I you use, go. I started using QuickBooks in 1990, 1991. Uh, it was a DOS-based program, and I'm still using it now. And I'll tell you what, I am not a fan of Intuit. QuickBooks is fine. It works. I have no problem with it. I've used it for, well, 30 years. But uh, you know what it is? Stupid expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I used, yeah. I used to pay $75. And you, you'd buy you'd buy QuickBooks 1999, and you'd use it till 2004. I mean, you know, because it didn't wear out. Uh, and, and now I, I got on this this thing where you can, uh, the online version. And I did that because so, somebody across the country can also look at it. Uh, and you know what that, they just, I just got the bill for it the other day. I want to say, I don't want to exaggerate, $600 for the year. A year. I mean, come on, guys. So, it, it, and, and they try to sell me stuff all the time. Use our bookkeeping service. Use our tax service. Use our 1099 service. I mean, and I do, I obviously do my own books because I'm a CPA. But I, but the bottom line, Linda, use QuickBooks. If you can, if you can get a version that's le- that lives on your computer, you don't have to pay the stupid fee for the, um, for the online version. I would suggest doing that. And I would also suggest not getting the deluxe version. I run a business that does millions of dollars of income. And I do not use the deluxe version. I use the the cheaper version. 
Yeah, there's, there's some other ones out there. There's one called Zero with a with an X. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't do any ACH payments, but if you're just self-employed, you don't need that stuff, you know. And there's fre- there's fresh books. There's there's Wave. There's other competitors out there. Um, just got to research it. Well, we, but as it turns out, all three of us use QuickBooks. So yeah. <laughs> there must be a reason why. I think you just use what you're familiar with, and it's hard to change. That is true. Okay, I guess we are now out of time. Are we, Aaron? Yep. Let's close up. But you know what, guys? We're never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. If you've got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. Takes you two seconds. Really helps us, though. So if you like it, show us. And subscribe and tell your friends, too. I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. And I probably did every bad thing on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll see you right here next time. <laughs>